We are in a second week of a series on, on peace and wrath. We've been looking at Romans and the verse that tells us that it is, is all possible on our behalf is to bring peace to our situations uh, as best we can to make sure we reconcile and work through our difficulties and those offenses that people bring against us and issues as best we can let's bring peace but he says this make room leave room for the wrath of God so this morning I want to share with you the wrath of God what it means to leave room for God's wrath and what God's wrath is about and so that we have a good understanding of that and again this is uh, based on uh, Colin Smith's Unlocking the Bible radio show. Uh, he's pastors a church in Chicago, and uh, it uh, really uh, ministered to me, and I am extrapolating on uh, his points and uh, bring it to you this morning. Uh, what I want to make sure you understand basically this morning are six aspects of God's wrath. We need to understand what God's wrath is about and why we need to make peace with one another but leave room for wrath. How can you have peace and wrath together? Well, you can have peace because you trust in God and you trust in his righteousness. God's wrath and God's justice, God's discipline is based on his righteousness. And that's why we have to leave room for it because you and I are flawed in our understanding of what needs to be done for justice. Some things are pretty plain, but some things are, there's more to the story than we understand. How many of you know that? And also, there's a measure of righteousness that God has that we allow our emotions to get engaged in. And that's one of the first of the six aspects I want you to understand. Number one, God is not like us. He is not like a man that he should lie. He's not like a man that his anger gets the best of him. No, the wrath of God is not like ours. His justice and discipline is not like ours. He does not lose his temper. God doesn't lose his temper. He is tempered by his righteousness and justice. So he doesn't lose that tempering of what is right and what is wrong. His anger does not get the best of him, but always acts justly. God never over-disciplines or does something unjustly. If you look at many other religions and how they view their God and mythology and other aspects, you see God with human attributes. And you see the gods uh, vengeful and, and angry. God is none of this. God is just and right, and he will execute judge, judgment with truth and rightness and justice, not as men. God is not like a man, but our emotional well-being is patterned after God. The only problem is our fallenness has corrupted it. So God doesn't follow a corrupt nature of man. He is pure and true. His Justice is always just and a perfect measured response to evil. The perfect measured response. God's righteous judgment is based on truth. It is righteous and God does not show any favoritism. He's not biased towards one or another. You and I are. 
and we're biased by our emotions. That's why we've got to leave room for God's justice. That's why sometimes in the situations we've been in, it's been a little bit slow in coming. Anybody uh, recognize that? Because God is allowing time to bring forth what needs to bear fruit, and sometimes the fruit of repentance. John Stott said this in his definition of God's wrath. God, God's wrath is steady, unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising, holy hostility and revulsion against evil in all its forms and manifestations. You see, that's the perfection of God's holiness. He's pure and holy and true. There's no shadow of turning. You can't find a fault in Him. You can't find an error in Him. You can't find over-judgment, over-zealous, and He will not relent against evil. But we have a hard time seeing that because we see evil abound. Habakkuk said, God, why do the wicked prosper? Why do we see them doing well? Well, there will be the day when they will be confronted by God's justice. And the question is for you and I, how is it that even in our wickedness and sinfulness, God has not brought the hammer down? It's because of His grace and His mercy. But His opposition to evil and His opposition to sin is unrelenting, unremitting, uncompromising. He is a righteous judge. He will not let something slide. Grace is not God just winking and looking the other way. Grace means that God brought extreme and perfect judgment against all sin. And do you know where he brought that wrath down on? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Don't ever think for a minute that grace gives you an excuse to sin. Don't ever think for a minute that grace gives you permission to just, ah, oh, you can repent later. Go ahead and get some uh, loosey-goosey, slippery grace. No, how dare any believer in the Lord Jesus look at sin as if nonchalantly something that God just lets it go. That is not the grace of God. The grace of God gives you power over sin because Christ Jesus paid by the wrath of God poured out on him. He became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody get thankful this morning for what God's done. The judgment, your judgment already came down. And it came on Jesus Christ. And we look at why some have not been brought to justice yet. That same weight and patience for them is, is being brought to them. That's why on our part, we must bring peace. And hopefully win some to God. So God's wrath is not like ours. Secondly, God's wrath is provoked. It's provoked. You see, God's wrath and vengeance is not in his nature. Isaiah 28 verse 21 says this, and God says it to Israel. He said, I will bring my discipline. I will bring my wrath. It is an alien and strange work. Because it is not the nature of God 
to be wrathful. The nature of God is love. His natural attribute is to love. God so loved the world. And so his natural attribute is love. But love, perfect love, complete love, cannot allow evil or sin to propagate. Therefore, because of his love, anger, wrath is provoked. Do you see the difference? It is provoked. If there were no sin, if there were no evil, there would be no wrath of God. Only love. Because that is who he is in his nature. But again, because of sinfulness which breeds evil, which begets death, God must, as a righteous judge, bring forth wrath against it so that it has no right to exist in his perfect love. I hope you understand that. Wrath is his holy response to evil. Holiness and righteousness must, must, must destroy evil and sin. And so because of it, it's provoked in him to bring discipline. How many of you as parents have had to discipline your children? You would not love them properly if you allowed their misguided and sinful ways to perpetuate. What kind of a loving parent would allow their children to do destructive and wrong things in the house to their own bodies and to others? Love would say no and discipline so that they would learn what is right and righteous. And this is God's love. And so God's wrath is provoked. It's not his nature. God is not a an angry God that is loathsome up there waiting to just crush the ants on an anthill of human life. Thirdly, God is slow to anger. Psalm 103, verses 8 to 10 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Slow to anger, extremely patient. I can say that about me. My Father God is extremely patient with my behavior. Because I think many times, I'm okay. I'm right. I'm justified in why I feel that way. And there are things, how many of you have ever had where the Holy Spirit just nails you and exposes an attitude or an action that you've taken and you realize I was so self-deceived. I was so self-righteous. Oh, God, forgive me. Isn't it good that God is so gracious to reveal that to us? Because he is slow to anger. It also says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We wonder why God isn't quicker with justice. Why isn't he swifter with some of the issues? It's so that more would come to salvation. Many times it is in fact his discipline that brings us to salvation. 
And I'll get into that in a minute, how it's actually God's wrath that brings us to salvation and to the cross. But he's patient. It's been 2,000 years. God, why can't we have your judgment come? Call this thing done. But wait. Don't you have loved ones? Don't you have family and friends? Don't you have those that you know don't know Christ and are going to hell and will face God's wrath at the judgment? Isn't it the church that's crying out, Oh God, God save another, save another. While the tribulation saints, while the saints under the altar are saying, How long, O God, how long? But the body of Christ on the earth should be crying out, Oh God, another soul, another soul. Save my aunt, save my uncle, save my wife, save my children, save my husband. That's our cry as a people. We are those who are to make peace at all costs and to bring reconciliation between God and the lost. How can we be ones that are crying out, vengeance, wrath, and vengeance, God? No, be slow in the character of God for judgment and bring, Lord God, their eyes into openness of revelation to receive. Now, God's wrath is actually happening now. It says in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They're blinded by the eyes, blinded by the God of this age. They don't understand righteousness. They must learn it from us, the church. How are we doing on that? We cave concerning the righteousness of God. We cave when the rest of the world wants to legitimize sin. We don't want to ruffle their feathers when the world makes legal the killing of babies. We just can tolerate that. When it makes legal the perversions and the sexual distortions that are opposing in nature, we can live with that. Just let us still have our church so, and we can come. And hopefully we don't have to wear a mask. That's all we're cared about. Come on, it's sick, the condition the church is in. We're the ones who are sick when we know the truth and we do nothing to win the lost. You want to talk of where the wrath of God and the discipline of God should be exposed? Where does it start? In the house of the Lord. How are we going to instruct them on what is right and true if we ourselves are so apathetic? That's from the Spirit of God. The wrath is being revealed right now. Why? Here's one of the ways the wrath of God is revealed. According to Romans 1.24, Therefore God gave them over to the desires of their own hearts to impurity for the dishonoring of their bodies with one another. Gave them over to a reprobate mind. God, here's the thing. God many times will allow His wrath to come upon a person by letting them indulge in their sin. Do you know why? Sin has its own retribution. Jeremiah said this, quoting God, your own evil will discipline you. 
Your own apostasies will reprimand you. Consider and realize how evil and bitter it is for you to forsake the Lord your God and have no fear of him. So the wrath of God is being poured out. And many times we think they're getting away with it. But quite often, it is their sinful activity that in fact destroys their own life. And God will allow their own sin and its repercussions to come upon them. Mercy is when God steps in and says, you will not have to pay for the sin that you've committed. That's the mercy of God, stopping the wrath and punishment that that sin would afford unto you. People who behave in such immoral ways often reap the consequences of those immoral ways. And and what it will do is bring death to them and thrust them before a righteous judge. So one of the ways God's wrath comes is by him allowing their own sin to perpetuate. The second is to give them over to Satan. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, to the church at Corinth about a sinner in their midst. He said, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's pretty heavy. That is concerning a believer who was willfully and publicly sinning and would not repent from a rebuke. And, God, and, and Paul said, turn him over to the devil. Now, that's the wrath of God. God allows the enemy and the demonic and Satan to buffet people. And he says, do this so that he won't lose his salvation, his soul, but turn his flesh over to the enemy. And that's a form of discipline. In other words, let the devil spank him. You be there to make peace. In fact, that's what happens in 2 Corinthians. Paul has to tell the church, okay, enough. Bring the brother back. <coughs> He's repented. Let him come back. Okay? See, there it is again against, with our discipline and our justice. We quite often will uh, go to the extreme, won't we? And they turned him over to Satan, and he no longer had fellowship with the believers, and, and he was being buffeted by the enemy for his sin until he, what? Learned and repented. This is what discipline and wrath does. So God is bringing his wrath. He will allow the sin to do its work against them. That's one way. Secondly, he will allow the enemy or Satan to buffet those who are opposing the Lord. And then thirdly, if none of that will produce the repentance necessary, there is the ultimate time of judgment. And that is the wrath of God at his judgment seat. We will all face the Lord. Now what the Lord says about his wrath, which is perfect, which is just, which is true, is that it's being stored up unto the day of judgment. Our wrath, our sin is being accounted for. That's something else. Now, 
the believer will have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The unbeliever will stand before the great white throne judgment. I don't know about you, I do not look forward to the day that I stand before the Lord for discipline. But pastor, I thought the blood of Jesus cleansed us from all unrighteousness, but we will still have to give an account with what God gave us. The judgment seat for Christians is called the Bema seat. It is the king's, the king's platform where Jesus will sit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, read it when you get home, describes the judgment seat of Christ that we will all stand before Jesus. And it is to give an account with what we did with the Holy Spirit that was invested in us. You know the parable Jesus told about of the talents given ten to one, five to another person, one to another. They doubled it, they used it, they made it effective. The one buried it, did nothing with it. And he said you should have at least let its own power produce a return. The Holy Spirit's been put within every one of us. What have we done with it? We must give a response and an answer to the Lord for the power of his anointing in us. And he likens it in an analogy to wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones, and it will be tried by fire. Not concerning your salvation. Once you are saved through the blood of Jesus, that's not the issue. The issue is, now that I've sealed you with my spirit, the judgment is, what have you done with it? So this is not a judgment against your sinfulness, but against the activity of what you've done with Christ. We need to stay in an attitude of repentance at all time and gratefulness for the blood that pardons us. Amen? But you and I are going to stand before the Lord and it says that as our works are tested and tried by fire, we will suffer loss. The loss of what? The loss and the regret of living a more devoted life to Christ. The loss, the regret of not speaking on his behalf, not reaching as far as we could, not making peace as best we should have with others. I feel such a strong unction this morning to warn us as a people, get our act together, people. It is being stored up and accounted for. Jesus said, every secret and thought and intention of your heart will be judged. Every word that comes out of your mouth will be judged. Every work that you've done with your hands and feet will be judged. Look at the progression here. From the heart to the mouth to the actions. <coughs> and with that, we'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, did your heart get an inspection from my Holy Spirit? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, we are to judge ourselves now so that we will not be judged before Christ. <coughs> and again, what he's talking about is what comes out of my mouth, wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones? What are the thoughts in your own heart? Is it producing junk? I don't want to stand before God and as he evaluates the words and the meditations of my heart <clears throat> that he sees I built a log cabin instead of presenting gold to him. 
I've got to refine my thought life. I've got to refine my mouth. I've got to act and work towards the kingdom of God. Why else are we here, brothers and sisters? Why else? You've been distracted too long. We've all thought that this was about you and I and about our happiness. I mean, isn't it true that God lives to please you? Isn't that why Jesus died? So that he could give you everything your heart desired. So that you'd have a long life and prosper and live out all your days in perfect health. So that at the end of it all, your name means so much to everyone else. Isn't that why we live? But the stark reality of standing before God and knowing that this fire of his nature was put in us. And he'll ask, what did you say? What did you think? And what did you do for me? It's being stored up and accounted. Thank God his grace has cleansed me from sin, but now my actions and attitudes are in love to him. Now, that's between us and God, but what I dreadfully fear is the white throne judgment. For this is for all those who have not received Christ. For they will be judged by every thought, every word, and every action. That they don't have the blood that has cleansed them from sin. And they will have to pay with the perfect wrath of God on sin. That sin was paid for. That sin was paid for at the cross. They will be condemned to hell for rejecting Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior of all. And having no faith in what they've seen in creation and through their own conscience. That, my brothers and sisters, is leaving room for God. I don't want to be the one who assigns anyone to hell. How about you? People ask me, Pastor, this person died. Do you think they're in heaven or in hell? It's not my job to know. Now, if they did not accept Christ, I'm, un, I'm very certain that they're in hell. For Christ is the only way. But pastor, I don't know if they accepted Christ. I don't know if they made a confession. I don't know either. I don't know the activities in someone's mind on a deathbed. I don't know the last prayer they eked out. I can't say that. I'm not going to sign that. But I know that if they have breath and life and I have opportunity to speak to them, I want them to make peace with God. I will share Jesus with them. And so the wrath of God in these six equations as we understand it, the sixth one is this. We are all condemned to hell. We all read about God's love and His and His heart for us. God so loved the world that he sent his only beloved, only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But we don't quote verse 18 of John 3, which says this, whoever believes in him is not condemned. The judgment was assigned to the cross. You've been forgiven. Thank God. But whoever does not believe is what? <coughs> condemned Already, the condemnation of all mankind took place in the garden. Everyone born of Adam is condemned to hell. 
How do I know that? We all die. The wages of sin is death. And if death came and we died, we will be judged eternally condemned to hell, separated from God. And everybody looks at this and thinks how evil, how bad God is. He didn't do it. He provided the garden. He provided revelation. He provided his word. <clears throat> but man denied him and chose themselves over God. And so Adam plunged mankind into sin and death. In fact, if you're going to accuse God of anything, accuse him of an immense love that so loved a condemned people that he did everything he could, in fact, giving his own life to save us. That's God. But the judgment is already happening. It's already in people's lives. That's why you and I are upset. We see it continually, daily. We think everybody's okay and there's some bad people. Wrong point of view. Everyone's wrong. Everyone's condemned. Everyone's evil. And doing the work of sin. But God has remedied that through Christ and put a people on this planet to rescue the perishing. Amen? So therefore, how do you have peace and wrath? We're to do everything we can to reconcile a dying, condemned world to a loving God. That's our job, brothers and sisters. You have an assignment today, people. You have an assignment to think outside of yourself and outside of your comfort, to consider every thought you have, every word you speak, and every action you take, to make peace with the people who are at enmity with God. As best you can, make peace. Don't you see? This is why you and I cannot be an unforgiving people. It's the worst abomination for a believer to have unforgiveness because we've been forgiven. How can we not try to reach those who have offended and hurt? We must reach the lost. And when it is a judgment beyond our ability, don't you bring judgment against somebody. Leave room for the perfect justice of God. Does this make sense to you? Does this stir you? Please let it stir you. Please understand the holiness of God will accomplish all and bring a cleansing to this earth. Can't we bring some to Christ today? Would you bow your heads, please?